We'll go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. That's page 983 in the church Bible if you want to follow along there. Colossians chapter 1. Last week we began looking at just what is simply a a marvelous statement about who Jesus Christ is. It's this very poetic, hymn-like passage in verses 15 to 20. And, and Paul is telling us here that Jesus is bigger and better than we often realize. Jesus is bigger and better than we often realize. And we saw last week in the, in the opening verses, 15 to 17, that the Lord Jesus Christ is supreme in creation. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. He's the goal of all created reality. And this week we're going to look at the the second half of this poem or or hymn, verses 18 to 20. And we'll see here, not only is Christ supreme in creation, He's also supreme in new creation. And I'll cut right to the chase. This is high Christology, there's there's no doubting that, but it has a very practical purpose. And and it's this, if, if you want to remain a Christian for the long haul, Your faith has to be fixed on a big Jesus. If your faith is going to survive, it has to be rooted in the real Jesus. You see, life, as you know, is too challenging. Um, Being a Christian in a secular place like Southern California is too difficult. And I've seen it many times as a pastor, someone makes a profession of faith, you know, they're, they're enthusiastic, but the Jesus they've trusted in is really just a, a superficial version of the real thing. And then, you know, um, some kind of get-out-of-jail-free card or maybe someone who's, who's there when they're desperate to provide a, an emotional boost, but, but he can be ignored the rest of the time. And then trials come, or temptation rears its ugly head, or they encounter intellectual objections they've never heard before. And, and that superficial Jesus, he can't bear the weight. He's not big enough, and their faith shrivels up and dies. And sometimes it's all at once, often it's, it's slowly over time. They just start drifting until eventually they've, they've moved on to something else. And the, the things Paul writes here about Jesus are designed to keep us close to Jesus. Uh, it, they're designed to show us that Jesus is enough. He's enough for today. He's enough for tomorrow, whatever, whatever you will encounter in the future. He's enough for time and eternity. And Paul's saying, look, friends, sink the roots of your faith down deep into this Jesus. And so today we're going to look at the, the second part of the poem, I'm going to read the entire thing again, verses 15 to 20, just so we we get the big picture, but we'll concentrate on verses 18 to 20. So Colossians 1, beginning in verse 15. Speaking of Jesus, Paul says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, 
the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Let me pray for us as we, as we dive into God's word. Our Father in heaven, we ask today that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear wonderful things about our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, Father, to, to have faith that is fixed on the, the real Jesus, the Jesus we see here in your holy word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, again, as we're working our way through this passage, just like last week, we want to ask, who is Jesus? What, what has he done? Why, why is Paul saying this Jesus is, is so much bigger and better than we often realize? We're going to see three things here in the passage. Number one, that Jesus launched a new creation. Number two, he's accomplishing cosmic reconciliation. And three, he's the head of a new humanity. So just run-of-the-mill stuff, right? <laughs> he, he launched a new creation. He's accomplishing cosmic reconciliation. He's the head of a new humanity. Well, first, the first thing we see is that this Jesus has launched a new creation. Verse 18 begins, and he is the head of the body, the church. We'll, we'll come back to that in a moment. I, I want you to see what Paul goes on to say. He says, Christ is the beginning Obvious echo of, of Genesis chapter 1, where we, we hear, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But, but here it's a new beginning. Christ is the founder of a new creation. And, and Paul tells us how or why. He says that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. A, a reference there to Jesus' bodily resurrection from the dead on the third day. And, and we saw this term firstborn last week. It can mean you know, first in time or first in status. And, and Paul's saying here that, that Jesus was the first to rise up out of the grave. And now maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, well, weren't there some others? You know, what about um, Lazarus? And, and it's true. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. But Lazarus died again. And so did the other, you know, instances we see, scattered instances we see in Scripture. They all died Again, Jesus' resurrection was, was different, unique. The, he was the first to rise from the dead, never to die again. You see, too often we, we simply think of the resurrection as just this, this raw display of God's power. You know, it's like God saying, hey, hey, humans, look what I can do. I'm, I'm real. I'm here. And it's certainly a powerful act, but it's so much more. In the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he, he put death to death. Jesus conquered sin and the grave. You know, Jesus' resurrection, it, it's the dawning of a new world. It set in motion the, the end of this present age. This, this age in which we live that's marked by, by the reign of sin and death and, and all the brokenness that goes along with those things. That Jesus' resurrection kick-started a new reality. That's what Paul means when he says he's the beginning, the, the firstborn from the dead. He launched a new creation in which righteousness and life prevail. And, and Paul, 
here in the, in the passage tells us why. <laughs> What's God's design in all of this? He says there at the end of verse 18 that in everything He, Christ, might be preeminent. You know, we don't use that word very often. It, it, it doesn't just mean important. It, it's supreme. Some translations have so that He might take first place. And, you know, we saw last week that Christ as, as Creator, Sustainer, the One who holds all things together, he's, he's supreme in creation. And so here, He's supreme in new creation. He's the first to rise in God's new world. The, the author of a new creation. And, and like I said at the beginning, this is lofty theology, this, this new creation theology that's really woven throughout Scripture. But, but what does it mean for us? You know, as we sit here, Grace Bible Church, uh, on this Sunday morning, what does it mean for us? You know, it's very common in, in our society today to talk about death as, as natural. You'll hear people say that it's a, it's just a natural part of the life cycle, and, and we're told we would do well to just accept it. You know, stop, stop fighting it. Stop, stop being so upset about it. Just realize this is the way things are. And, and that is not the Christian view at all. Death is not natural. It's an intrusion into God's good creation. It's the consequence of, of Adam's sin, of, of human rebellion against our Creator. See, death is not the way things are supposed to be. It's so obviously prevalent that, that we become accustomed to it, but this is not the way things are supposed to be. It, it robs us of loved ones. It, it causes untold grief and pain and, and suffering. And you think about it, if death was simply the natural end to life, the, the end of the story, you know, the, the end of the road, all there is, life is meaningless. Do you realize that? In that view, that, that life is just this, or death is just this natural part of life, it means life is just a series of meaningless events followed by a black hole of non-existence. That's all, that's all it is. There, there's no hope, no bigger purpose. You know, and, and all the different ways we try to construct meaning are just ways of fooling ourselves because there's nothing. And, and even if you're not a Christian, and some of you here may not be Christians. Even, even if you're not a Christian, I suspect that, that there's something within you that just recoils at that idea. You know, something about that idea that death is just natural, that's all there is, that it just doesn't sit right with you. And, and especially if you've lost someone you love. You say, no, no, there's something wrong. And, and you're right to feel that way. The Bible says death is an enemy. It is an, an insatiable monster, and it's not a friend. It's not natural. And the good news of the Gospel is that this Jesus that Paul has been telling us about, that we've been looking at last week and today, this Jesus has conquered death. He, he got up out of the grave because death no longer had the power to hold Him. A new creation was birthed. And, and Jesus is not only the, the first to rise, He's the, the first of many more to follow. Uh, just as Jesus was raised, all 
who belong to him will be. And, you know, a number of you have lost loved ones in recent months, and, and I have too. Most of you know that my mother died last summer. And it's painful, isn't it? I mean, even if your loved one died in Christ, even if you have that confidence that they were somebody who, who knew Christ and they are now with Christ awaiting resurrection, it still hurts. You know, they're gone. And the, a philosopher at Yale, Nicholas Wolterstorff, he wrote a book after his, his uh, 20-something-year-old son died in an accident. And um, he called it a, a lament for a son. And he talks there in that book about the void of absence. His son was a Christian believer, and he had, you know, this philosopher, Waldersdorf, has confidence that his son is with Christ. He will be raised one day, but, but there's this absence, this, this gap. He can't talk with him any longer. He can't, can't see him, hear him. He can't hug him. And, and nothing, he says, in this life will fill the gap left by that loved one's absence. And, and so we're here, you know, as Christian people wrestling with that pain and grief, and yet there's this deep down, there's this, this rock-solid confidence that we cling to, and, it, and it's this, because Jesus was raised, death is not the end of the story. All who died in Christ will be raised in Christ one day. Something new, something never seen before happened when Christ rose from the dead. A, a new world was launched. I've shared this Tim Keller quote with you all before. It's something Stephanie and I just, we've come back to numerous times. She actually has it uh, on a post-it note in our kitchen by the sink. Uh, Keller said, if Jesus rose from the dead, everything's going to be okay. If Jesus rose from the dead, everything's going to be okay. And he doesn't mean that in some shallow, you know, sappy cliche way he, he he means okay in the in the deepest sense possible god is going to set everything right this this death that hangs over the world like a black cloud it's already been the the death blow has already been dealt its ultimate destruction is coming and jesus resurrection opened up a whole new future No more death, no more sin, no more sorrow, no more grief or pain or suffering. The resurrected Christ, the the living Christ, the head of the new creation, He will have the final word. And so Paul says, realize that Jesus launched a new creation. But that's not all. Second, Jesus is accomplishing cosmic reconciliation. And I worded it that way on purpose. I wanted it to sound lofty. (laughs) Because what Paul says here in verses 19 and 20 is lofty. (laughs) And so follow Paul's logic here. He, He said that Jesus is the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead, the beginning of a new creation, so that he might be supreme in everything. And then verses 19 and 20, he tells us why. He tells us why it's fitting for this Jesus to be supreme in everything, including the new creation. You, you see that word for there at the beginning of verse 19. Those, those little prepositions are almost always so important in Paul's letters. Paul's giving us reasons why it's fitting for Jesus to be supreme. 
And, and it's who Jesus is, verse 19, and what He's doing, verse 20. Who He is, he, He's God in human flesh, verse 19 says, For in Him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All the fullness, meaning God in all His fullness dwelt in Jesus of Nazareth. In other words, Jesus wasn't simply a a man with a heightened sense of of God's presence in his life or some kind of special connection to God. Or or even some kind of semi-divine being come down from heaven. Paul is saying this is God incarnate. God in human flesh. The Word become flesh. Or as he says in uh, Paul says in chapter 2, for in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. But Paul also tells us what Jesus is doing. And we see that He's reconciling God and His creation. He goes on to say that, that God was pleased, verse 20, through Him, through Christ, to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. Reconcile is one of those rich Bible words. It's a relational word. You know, you have two parties, and there's there's some kind of breach in the relationship because of something one of the parties has done. There's there's now a, a barrier to fellowship, a separation, and and reconciliation is the process of of removing the barrier, of restoring the relationship. And those of you who are parents of young children, uh, you often have to reconcile warring siblings, don't you? Um, you know, one takes the other's toy, and the offended party retaliates with a, a punch to the gut or some kind of verbal assault, and, and mom or dad has to step in and, and make peace. Well, God intended us, human beings, to, to enjoy uh, peace and harmony with Him as our Maker. We were designed for fellowship with Him, for this, this relationship of, of union and communion. But there's been a... Uh, you know the story. Things haven't turned out that way. You, you know the story of, of Adam's sin, of humanity's rebellion against the Creator. There's, there's been this devastating rupture to that relationship. God and His human creatures are no longer friends. They're enemies. There's hostility, alienation because of sin. And, and there's this need for reconciliation. Uh, that broken relationship needs to be repaired. And, and that's what Christ has done. Paul says that He came, this, this One who is God in human flesh, He came and made peace by the blood of His cross. He absorbed the penalty of our sin in Himself at the cross. He, he bore God's wrath. In our place, he, he removed our guilt and shame before God. And, and, and all of that means that Christ has now torn down that barrier between sinful humanity and a holy God. He's, he's removed the alienation. In the death of Christ, the, the way back into God's loving presence was opened up. But, but notice something in verse 20. Look, look again at verse 20. This reconciliation Paul's talking about, it's not just about God and, and human beings. It's, it's about God and all of creation. It's, it's cosmic 
in scope. That's what Paul is saying. He says, through Christ, God is reconciling to himself all things. All things. Uh, a thread that's, that's running throughout this passage. Christ created all things. He sustains all things. And here Paul says he's reconciling all things. And, and I don't know, if, if you're like me, you start to get a little nervous when you hear things like that. So universalist, so universalistic uh, sounding. Uh, surely Paul does not mean all things. Actually, that's precisely what he means. He says all things, whether on heaven or whether on earth or in heaven. You, you really can't be more comprehensive than that. Totality, all created reality, um, human, angelic. Um, even the, the material world, all things. And, and here's what we need to realize to make sense of what, what Paul is getting at here. When Adam sinned, it didn't just affect him. It didn't even, just, it didn't even affect only him and, and Eve. Adam's sin and the effects of it, they, they reverberated throughout the entire universe. There, after Adam's fall, there's a, a fundamental disharmony in the universe because of sin. Things are, are not the way they're supposed to be. God created this world and human beings to, to live in that, that harmony, and, and this, but it's not that way. This world is under a curse. We, we've heard, we heard in the Scripture reading from Romans 8 that, that the creation itself was subjected to futility. And, and, and Paul you know, talks about the creation groaning under the, the weight of corruption and futility, longing to be set free. It, it's not just humans who need to be put right with God. It, it's the whole creation. And Paul is saying that Christ is reconciling all things, restoring all things, now, does that mean everyone will be saved? No, it doesn't. Paul's not talking about universal salvation. He's, he's, he's talking about cosmic rec- uh, restoration. The, the universe being restored to proper order under Christ's lordship. And, and for those who embrace Christ by faith now, as, as many of you have, that means peace now with God, restoration, reconciliation, uh, you've been restored to that fellowship for which you were created. For those who reject Christ, it will mean judgment when He returns. See, all hostile powers will be finally conquered. And you, we have this picture in Philippians 2, again from the pen of Paul, of, of that future day when, when the entire universe acknowledges Christ's supremacy. And, and some will do so willingly, the rest will do so as defeated enemies. That's the kind of thing Paul's talking about. In the end, cosmic peace will be restored. All things will finally be subjected to Christ. And the Bible word for what that will be like is shalom, peace, wholeness, a complete well-being, a renewed creation thriving in harmony with God. And that's a lot to chew on, I know. That's not kind of the, the normal way we think about um, what's going on in the world. But I'll just say this before, I, before we move on to the next point. 
If you are in Christ, if you're a Christian man, Christian woman, the most devastating rupture in your life has been mended. And I know that many of you could list off you know, numerous broken things in your life that haven't been fixed. And so you might be sitting there thinking, what do you mean, preacher? I mean that Christ has repaired the most significant brokenness in your life. That, that breach between you and your Creator because of your sin. Christ has dealt with it. He, he made peace. It, it's an accomplished fact. He, he, he's brought you back into the loving embrace of God. And, and that peace, that, that peace we have with God because of the work of Christ, it, it has a ripple effect in a life. <laughs> uh, someone who has experienced that peace is, is never the same again. And chapter 2, Paul will say that, that we're being renewed now. We're being renewed after the image of our Creator. Christ is restoring not just all things, but even you to wholeness. He, he's bringing order and glory out of all the broken fragments of your life. All the damage done by your own sin and the sins of others against you. Christ is, is restoring all things and one day He's going to make you and all of creation completely whole again. And it starts with this peace with God through the work of Christ. So, so Paul says, Jesus has launched a new creation. He's accomplishing cosmic reconciliation. And then third and finally, we see that Christ is head over a new humanity. He's head over a new humanity. Going back to the beginning of verse 18, Paul says that He, Christ, is the head of the body, the church. Where do we see the new creation Christ has launched? You know, where do we see reconciliation between God and His creation? And the answer Paul gives us here is in the church. In the church, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The, the church is the new humanity. Humanity rightly related to God through Christ. The, the church is an outpost of the new creation. And, and Paul uses this very familiar metaphor to describe the relationship between Christ and His church. It, it's like the relationship between a, a head and a body. And that relationship, it's, it's an organic relationship. It's one of closest possible union. And it really it speaks to us of how thoroughly Christ identifies with His people. You remember in Acts when, when the risen Christ confronts Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. And Saul, you know, prior to his conversion, was, was going after Christians, persecuting Christians. And, and do you remember what Jesus said to Paul? He didn't say, why are you persecuting them? He said, why are you persecuting me? <laughs> that, that's, how church, that's how Christ views the church. The church is His own body. And He's the head. Uh, as head, He, he governs and, and directs the body. He, he, he governs and directs the church. He's, he's the only Lord of the church. The only head. And, and as head, 
He's also the source of the church's life. He's the source of the church's existence. He, he brought it into being. We sang about that a, li- a little bit ago. He, his own resurrection life animates the life of the church. Uh, he nourishes the church. He cherishes the church. In chapter 2, Paul says that, that Christ as head causes the growth of the body. See, apart from Christ, the church is really just a, a corpse not a living organism. And it's good for us as Christian people to, to step back from time to time and, and remember what this thing is that we're a part of. The, this thing we call the church. You know, it, it can be tempting to become disillusioned with the church, at least with the church as institution. You know, some of you have, have been a part of churches with uh, heavy-handed leaders, Men who, who thought they were the head, not Christ. You've been hurt. You've been wounded. Or, or maybe you've been a part of the church long enough to realize not all is new creation yet. <laughs> uh, I, I had a professor who used to say that the church has an ugly underbelly. Uh, you know, maybe you're sitting in a committee meeting watching a conflict over paint colors unfold and you're thinking, there sure doesn't seem to be a lot of resurrection life here just kind of baptized <laughs> uh, politics. And, and I would say we shouldn't ignore the church's failures. You know, We need to own up to the ways that, that we as a church, not just Grace Bible Church, but we as, as the church have, have failed to, rep, to be the body of Christ in practice. But, but at the same time, and maybe this is what more, many more of us need to, to come back to, at the same time, we need to remember what the church truly is. It's the new creation made visible. Despite, despite the flaws and the failures and the sins, it's the new creation on display, the place where the resurrection life of Christ is at work. And, and when you see, for example, two believers who have very little in common treating each other as siblings, that's new creation. When, when a believer does or says something that, that hurts you know, a brother or sister and the offended party forgives. That's new creation. That's not normal. That's not the way things normally work in this world. When, when a Christian man or woman resists temptation and tries to live in a way that pleases the Lord, that is new creation at work. These are not just ordinary things. That is the life of the risen Christ animating His body. New creation has broken into our lives. We, we are gathered here today as the people of the resurrection, the people of the new creation. And so Paul's burden in this passage, we'll come back to what we've been talking about the last two weeks, that Paul's burden in this passage is for Christians to see the real Jesus. He, he wants us to get a glimpse of the real Jesus, His greatness, His glory, His goodness. He wants us to see, you know, Christ is not just some personal spiritual advisor. He's our creator. He's our recreator. He's supreme in everything. He's sufficient in everything. And Paul says later, this is the Christ you have received when you became a Christian. This, this glorious Christ, exalted above the creation, head of the new creation, reconciling all things. This is the Christ you received. 
This is the Christ whose self-giving love has reconciled you to God. This is the glorious Christ who has taken up residence in your life and is now making all things new, (laughs) beginning from the inside out. And, And I think what Paul wants us to see is we don't move beyond Jesus. We don't move beyond Jesus. It's not like he's the training wheels for the Christian life and you know after you kind of get the hang of things you just ditch the training wheels and move on. Christ you know we don't move on to the deeper thing Christ is the deeper thing. You know all the fullness of God dwells in him. Paul keeps pounding that home. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in him. Uh, he's God made visible. He brings us with Him into the life and, and communion of the triune God. <laughs> if you want to go deeper as a Christian, get to know Jesus Christ better. <laughs> if you want to grow and mature, Paul is, is saying to us here, receive more of Christ. Pursue Him. And, and friends, I want to say, don't become preoccupied with Jesus substitutes. You know, I, I've watched good Christian people kind of push Jesus to the, the periphery of their lives. And, and they, they become fixated on, on things that are really about Christ, but, but they ignore Christ in them. You know, they, they just become obsessed with, with Bible prophecy, you know, glued to the news, trying to figure out how, how what's going on in Russia, you know, works out in the Bible. Um, and Jesus is kind of nowhere to be found, or, or they, they really dive deep into apologetics and, and cultivating a, a Christian worldview, and yet um, Jesus is kind of he's not there. Don't move away from Christ. Don't even let things that are related to Christ, <laughs> good things, displace him from the center. He, he's everything. God cannot give us more than He has given us in Christ. And that doesn't mean that right now we experience it all or even grasp it all. But Christ is everything. And so cling to Him. Trust Him. Stay close to this Christ. Let me pray for us. Our God, we pray that You would cause us to be people who are fixed on Christ and and steady and stable and not moved away from the hope of the Gospel, the hope of Jesus Christ. We pray that He would become bigger and better to us. We ask all in Jesus' name. Amen.